Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Tentech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Phil Heltevig. So here is part two of our conversation with Phil. Take it away, Gene. Welcome back to the show, Phil. Um, in our previous episode, we talked um, more about the end user experience, me complaining about some of the experiences and you know, how business can think about this. And, and throughout the whole episode, I was keep thinking about like, okay, so I know how to put together a dinner party. I, you know, I, I know what goes into making a good conversation. Meaning, you know, I, you know, you gotta have to have some kind of seating arrangement. You know, who's gonna talk uh, with whom, and you, you sort of have these uh, plans, and and you know, who, what to serve, you know, in what group, what topic to start with, what topic not to start with. You, you sort of have how to make a good, engaging conversation, like a little dinner party that we all like. Um, so like this time, like I really wanna peel back the layer a little bit, what really goes into, even in the back room, like uh, to make these interactions as, as, as um, we talked about, you know, don't think of it as a human, it's not a, a you know, in a, that kind of human interaction, but at least a satisfying interaction. I came to this experience to get this done and I got it done and I'm happy. So let, let's talk really uh, about what goes into making that happen. So. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not shy about saying this. I'm rather impatient. So, um, but I love when service um, agents help me really quickly to get to what I, you know, want to get to. So tell me, walk us through a little bit on the back end what really needs to happen with a conversation automation to provide that experience. I think you mentioned something, uh, something important that I also alluded to in our last session, which is that What's important here is that you were helped fast and frictionless, right? You got service fast. Uh, your problem was solved quickly for you. And uh, it's great if a human can do that, but I, don't th- I think a lot of customers don't care whether it is a human or a bot as long as they can get the help they need quickly and without hassle. Now, the requirements for a cognitive bot are actually uh, rather similar to the ones for a human agent, which is access to data, access to backend systems. Because let's say you're calling a call center, you're speaking with a human agent, and you have a question about your, uh, the, the order that you placed last week, and you want to follow up on that order. Well, if that agent doesn't have a kind of interface to look into the ordering system, then uh, they won't be able to answer your question. And it is very similar for a cognitive bot, right? If you're coming in and you say, well, I have a question about my order, the bot understands, okay, you have an order question and you haven't given me an order number, so I'm going to ask you for one. You provide the, the order number. Now, if the bot doesn't have access to the order system, they have to make something up, right? And that, does, that is not helpful. So what they need is they need the means to access the systems that contain the data that you are querying about. So in this case, it would mostly mostly be an API, like a, a programming interface, to interact with that ordering system. Now, what bots actually do quite a bit is they ask you, how can I help you? 
and you are providing a sentence in human language and in, in, in any language that you might speak. And the bot then assigns meaning to that. So for example, if I say, uh, I have a question about my last order, the bot understands, okay, this is a order status request, for example. And now the bot tries to gather all the bits and pieces it needs in order um, for them to be able to answer my question. Just like a human agent would. If I said to a human agent, I have a question about my last order, he might, he or she might say, okay, what's your order number? Or if I'm already authenticated because I called in and they can somehow see my phone number, that's also, by the way, then a backend connection, right? Where they can correlate my phone number in a CRM system, for example. They could say something like, oh, is this about the order uh, from last week, which hasn't been, uh, hasn't been delivered yet? Right, and a bot can do a very similar thing if they have access to the same data, usually using APIs on the back end. Right, so that that's that's the kind of connectivity that is required in order for a bot to be smarter than what we call an FAQ. Like a lot of bots in the early days were so-called FAQs. Like you have FAQs on your website, right? Frequently asked questions. And you have an FAQ that has 100 questions and 100 answers. Now, for example, where can I track my order status? That's a typical FAQ question. And then the answer is something like, you can track that status on our order status page, and then there is a link to it. So that's what you have on your website. Now, what a lot of companies in the early days with chatbots did, they just took these FAQs and put them into the bot. And now if I say to the bot, hey, what's my order status? it's going to say, you can track your order status at this and that page. Now, that's somewhat helpful. I could have also found that out on the website, I guess. So I'm essentially just using the bot as a search engine. But wouldn't it be much better if the bot then had an interaction with me saying, oh, yeah, sure, I can help you with your order status. What's your order ID? And then I give it the order ID and so on and so forth. So that's what we call an end-to-end -end automation. right? And in order to do that, you need to have access to the systems that actually have that information in them. Is there a like, nice average number of assistants uh, you know, your bots touch to, to, to make this happen somehow? Well, it really depends on, on the bot, right? I mean, most bots are not integrated with more than two or three systems at the same time, because again, they, they usually have a relatively narrow purpose, right? If I have a bot that uh, works in in customer service for an insurance uh, company, then it's maybe the claim system and maybe it's a CRM system where I have information about my customers and uh, maybe that's it, right? And if I if I uh, work in, uh, in retail, then maybe it's my uh, e-commerce system and again, it's a CRM system or an ERP system of, of some sort. So there is of course the big, uh, the big enterprise software companies that provide a lot of that functionality like Microsoft, like Salesforce, like Oracle, like SAP. And uh, if you have connectors to those, then um, you're already covering a large part of the requirements, uh, so a large part of the, uh, the projects and of the integrations that, uh, that actually need to be built. But of course, sometimes there's also very exotic systems that are very use case specific that, that we've never heard about. But of course, that uh, you need to have the ability to integrate with anyways. And most of the time, these systems have standard APIs as well. Let me just get a little deeper because I think that the market is getting bigger in a way, the whole conversational AI 
the space is becoming a thing. It used to be like, what are you talking about? And and we, it's like is and and I was very uh, impressed that there's actually um, some decent market size data uh, out there, and it is becoming a, a real space. If you were to um, kind of go through your own platform and and you know what's different from you know let's say you know Google platform in a way and and other things, can you just uh, give us a little bit of a how to think about this, evaluate even? You're right. The market is uh, is getting bigger, and as such, you have a lot more uh, entrants into the market as well that are trying to serve customers and that are calling themselves uh, conversational AI platforms, conversational automation platforms. Now, we've been in the in the market for uh, for a number of years now, and we've always solely been focused on enterprise, and. We come from an enterprise background as well. Most of us have worked for large enterprise software companies in the past. And as such, we understand the requirements that enterprise have or enterprises around the world have for a system like, uh, like Cognigy or a conversational automation system. Because you have to see the data that is flowing through our system can be highly sensitive, right? It's, it's PII data. Um, if it's governmental data, I mean, this, when you talk with these bots, you are giving up a lot of uh, privacy-related data that you really don't want to get out. And so a part of being enterprise-grade is, I guess, um, being compliant to GDPR and uh, being not just compliant, but enabling our customers to stay compliant as well. Right? There's questions that come up with, okay, um, how long does the uh, the brain memory that a, that a bot has? So a, a bot has a, a, a short-term memory of the conversation that we are currently having in order to, uh, to um, facilitate better conversations. How long does that survive? Does that live for an hour? Does it live for 24 hours? What about persistent information we've saved? Can a customer come to my enterprise and demand all the chat data we have on them? Right? And the answer is yes, they have to be able to provide that kind of data because this is one of the uh, compliance requirements under GDPR. Then there is things like security, right? Encryption, single sign-on, integration with authentication systems in the enterprise and so on. And if you look at it from that perspective, the market becomes a lot narrower. There is really only a handful of vendors uh, in the market that can tick all of those boxes. The boxes of being able to integrate with any enterprise system there is without having to come back to the vendor. Boxes of scalability. I mean, we have customers that at one moment might have a hundred people conversing with a bot and at the next moment might have thousands of people conversing with the bot at the same time. So the solution must be very scalable in that sense. The, the security uh, tick box and the compliance uh, tick boxes, right? So. If you look at it from that perspective, it really there are really not a lot of vendors on the market, especially when you look at a requirement that is coming up more and more often, which is the, um, the ability to run on dedicated hardware, meaning to pull the whole platform essentially on premise or on their own cloud infrastructure so that no data leaks out. This, for example, is one of the reasons why a lot of European companies are, stop, uh, are stopping uh, working with uh, dialogue, Google Dialogflow, which is Google's natural language understanding offering, because Google cannot guarantee that the data is staying in the European Union. 
right? So they are then uh, moving to other solutions like for example, Cognigy. Now, if you were to ask me to name the companies that actually comply to all of these things that I've just mentioned, I would not mention the large platforms like a Microsoft, a Lewis, a Google Dialogflow, IBM Watson, and so on, because they are only really delivering a part of the solution. And you might ask, what part is that? So I need to explain first, what are the parts that make up an end-to-end -end, uh, conversational AI platform? On the front end, you have what we call channel connectors because the customer sits on a channel, right? A channel can be WhatsApp, channel can be Facebook Messenger, a channel can be Microsoft Teams, a channel can be a phone call. Now, every one of these channels uses different formats. And when the data comes in, the system somehow needs to understand these formats in order to continue working with the data from that channel. So you need those channel connectors. That's the first of three pieces you need. The second piece is the natural language understanding. So that's the AI component that assigns meaning to what the, um, what the customer has said. So for example, if I say, I need a bank statement from the 3rd of January, 2020 to the 17th of February, 2020, that sentence has a lot of information in it, right? And the natural language understanding is able to comprehend that meaning. It's like a bank statement request and it has a starting date and an end date in it. With that information, I can then go into a backend system and retrieve the, uh, that, that bank statement. So that's the natural language understanding component, which is the second. And the third component is the conversation logic. Now that I have understood it's a bank statement request and I have a start and an end date, what do I do now? Or what if someone only made a bank statement request and I only have a start date? Do I just assume the end date is now or do I ask back, um, is this until now or um, do you want to sp uh, specify a different end date for, the, for your bank statement? So that's what the conversation logic does. It determines what do we say back to the user and do we interact with backend systems in the meantime, right? For example, if I already have all the information for the bank statement, I could pull that information and let's say I get a PDF link back and then I can provide that instantly to the user going like, oh yeah, here's your bank statement, uh, click for a download. So again, the three components are the channel connectors, the natural language understanding that actually analyzes and assigns meaning and the conversation logic that then, de that then um, determines what we answer back. Now the big systems like Microsoft Lewis um, or Google Dialogflow, they only offer limited channel connectors. They all offer really good NLU and they all offer very limited conversation logic, if any. Some of them don't offer any conversation logic or you have to write a lot of code, programming code in order, uh, in order to get anything done. Now, a system like Cognigy uses a low-code approach for the conversation logic because we believe that the knowledge about the process that you want to automate does not sit inside the IT department, right? If you, if you are automating processes in customer service, then you need to have people from customer service build out these processes and not a developer that codes them. And if a change needs to be made, then everyone needs to go back to the developers to change it. So, whereas in Cognigy, they can just go in and change it themselves. Right? So we are using a, a little bit of a different approach, shifting the ownership of the conversational solution directly into the customer service department or the respective department that is building a bot. So summarized, 
Cognigy is an end-to-end -end solution that has all three components, the channel connectors, the native NLU. So we have Cognigy NLU, which can be plugged in and out for other NLUs as well, and the conversation logic. And all of this can run completely disconnected end-to-end -end on a dedicated uh, infrastructure, or it can be consumed on SaaS as well if you want. But that's what truly makes an enterprise solution. And of those, there are only very few on the market. Thanks for clarifying those differences, because because somehow the general um, tech industry made this whole natural language processing part such a um, you know a stand-in for AI in general and 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 chatbot conversation part of it and 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 the accuracy and and those things are well for you know it's like a sport you know who's doing better and and people are talking about this. But those those layers involved um, really helps, but it's not it, it, it's not as easy. I think it, it does require some understanding of of, of landscape of of what's doing what and how to put it together because you do have to um, you know work with the larger uh, IT structure on the enterprise side. In your experience, what are some of the, because in, in tech industry, it really is super helpful to have somebody uh, championing this because it does take some doing on their side. Adoption is kind of painful sometimes. Um, mm. What in, in your case, who are some of the champions who are making this possible uh, to bring, bring you in and, and start integrating um, the system wide? Yeah. It's interesting, and it has also uh, evolved and changed over the past couple of years, really. Like when we started Cognigy in, uh, in 2016, um, hardly anyone had ever heard of conversational AI or conversational automation. Everyone was thinking about uh, Siri as, as being conversational AI, and uh, chatbots are fun on Facebook, and you can have small talk with them and so on, right? So at that time, Conversational AI really only started entering the minds of, uh, of people in the enterprise. And oftentimes it was either techies that wanted to play around a little bit or um, innovation managers that are like uh, technical scouts that are always on the lookout for the next big thing and how they can then take this and apply it at their, at their um, enterprise. Now, this has changed significantly over the past couple of years, also probably partially due to the emergence of robotic process automation. We now have essentially two different personas we're working with. Uh, one is what we call the automation hero, because automation in general has seen a massive uh, uptake inside large enterprises. And those that have previously focused on RPA are now starting to focus more and more on conversational automation, right? So this is definitely one of, of the groups that we are working with a lot these days, people that have experience in, um, in uh, automation technologies, whether that's RPA or also some previous experience uh, by dabbling around with a Google dialogue flow or something like that, and now want to take the next step of really applying this in the enterprise. And the second one, the, the second group of, uh, of people in the enterprise we're interacting with uh, comes from the contact center space, right? And it's not usually the contact center managers, but it's more the 
the contact center technical VPs because contact centers are rather technical operations anyways. Of course, you have a lot of human capital in there. You have a lot of agents, but you also have uh, quite involved IT systems in the contact centers already, right? The likes of Genesis or Avaya, Ring Central, audio codes equipment. So different uh, types of technologies that are already in place and the people dealing with those types of technologies are now turning towards the conversational AI and conversational automation technologies, championing the introduction of those technologies in the enterprise to reap the benefits in terms of ROI cost savings that we've discussed uh, in the last session. That kind of uh, helps me to, to see it from their angle, what they are looking at. And I think the conversation we had you know, a previous episode kind of works within that framework as well. I'm wondering, so let's see, the, the technical capability is, is progressing um, fast and the uh, consumer experience is accumulating now. I mean, it's, it's not hard to find somebody who interacted with this now, um, not as novel as before. So let's say this, this is uh, becoming more um, common discussion and, and enterprise uh, business meetings. If you were to kind of uh, give them help, helpful tips, how to you know, begin to have this conversation, how, mm-hmm. how to get started and how, how to get really serious about it, and what would you say? Well, maybe a couple of points, I guess. If you want to get started with conversational AI technology, the first thing I would say is just get started, right? It's a, you don't need to be scared of the technology or think that your own technical skills might not be sufficient. Just sign up for a platform of your choice. You, know, you can sign up for hours on the website or any other, play around with it, right? Contrary to common belief, many tools out there now let non-technical users build very advanced bots actually without needing any any development skills right we just had a case for example with uh, with one of the major airlines here in the region where a manager built a whole bot while being confined to the home office due to the crisis and he had never programmed before right it's really a lot easier than than you might think and um, i think it's also very satisfying actually building something that you can then speak with Right. It's actually the reason why we started the company in the first place. We're big sci-fi fans and uh, we thought, okay, let, let's do something really cool, right? And, and I, I still love it. I mean, I, I build bots at times in our platform and uh, I think it's a very satisfying experience. So maybe as an overarching theme, I would say, well, j- just get started, right? But if you, if you want some more concrete uh, tips, I would say pick your use case well. Because you're going to just get started and play around and that's fine. And you can build a bot that, you know, pulls the cafeteria menu and stuff like this. And it's a nice to have, and it's, it's cool to show your friends and you are going to love it, but your boss is not going to love it. Right. He'll say eventually he or she, and then higher up in the hierarchy, will say, okay, so how can we apply this? And what's the ROI? So pick your use case. Well, that, the use case that you are then going to parade around the enterprise and look at the ROI. So look towards the customer service uh, uh, department in your, um, in your organization, if you can. Now, the other thing I would say is don't start too small. Yeah? Pick a bot that can deliver actual value, 
and that's not, not just an FAQ. FAQs are, yeah, they are nice. And I don't know why, but almost everyone's starting with an FAQ. Yeah, we want to build an FAQ bot. And we're like, well, why do you want to build an FAQ bot? It's like, yeah, because we already have the FAQs. Yeah, great. But you can build an FAQ bot maybe to start with. And then you take one of the questions and you fully end-to-end -end automate that. Yeah, so maybe the question, uh, where can I check my order status? That then no longer leads to a website. So the bot no longer just gives you the URL, but you automate that one end-to-end -end by integrating with API. So don't start too small. Don't make an FAQ bot your goal. That should not be the goal, right? But don't start too big either. We have seen customers that say, this technology is great. We've done the training. It's so easy to use. We're going to automate everything. Uh, we're going to build a bot that can automate, uh, that can answer any question and automate everything. And we have mapped out these 80 journeys and now we're going to build them. I can tell you these projects hardly ever succeed, right? Don't start with 50 things your bot can do. Pick your top five things, maybe three things and start on those. For all the others, send the people where you're sending them now to your FAQ page, to an email, to a human agent. Automate the top three things. Now think about this. Say you're automating, you're building a voice bot yeah, and you want to automate um, some queries that are coming in and you figure out, okay, half of my queries that are coming in are about uh, finding the closest location of a supermarket, let's just say. Now you automate just that one case. There is in total, there's 100 cases, but you're only automating that one. Now all of a sudden you've automated 50% of all the queries. Right, so if you, if you take the top five, well, let's say top 10 features, you can automate upwards of 80% of the queries that are coming in. So don't start too big by trying to automate everything. Pick a couple and iteratively add more features to the bot afterwards. And maybe last but not least, this is, this is something that you just mentioned and um, but that's why I would like to pick it up. The, the natural language understanding. You said that Natural language understanding technology is kind of a stand-in for AI in general, right? And I think it's because it's very relatable. Yeah, sure, there is AI that analyzes uh, when a component in a certain machinery will fail. And that's, that's not that relatable. And a natural language understanding somehow personifies AI and makes us able to interact with it. And I think this is why there's a lot of focus on that. But I'm saying, don't just focus on the NLU. The NLU is but one piece of a successful bot experience. And the way you can think about it is the NLU only understands what you're saying. Okay. So let's say I have a bank and in this bank, I have an employee and he understands all the customer questions. And then he does something to actually help the customers. Now, let's say I don't have a bank. The bank is my channel. Yeah. I don't have a channel. I only have this guy, he stands there, he understands every question you ask, but he doesn't know what to do then. That's pretty useless, right? Now, if you have a guy who sits in the bank, which is his channel, and you go there, he understands every question you ask, and he can then actually action that as well, which is the conversational logic, right? Then you actually have a very well working system that provides good service. And it's the same here, you need, the proper channel that your customers are using. You need a well-functioning natural language understanding. It doesn't need to be perfect. 
Don't spend an extra six months getting extra 2% performance out of your NLU. Spend that on conversational design. Your return is going to be much higher. And then you need to have that conversational design, that conversational logic that actually can action those understandings the NLU gives it. Only if the three pieces work in unison and work very well, then you're going to get somewhere. There's way too much focus on performance of NLU in the market, as you are saying. And I believe there should be a lot more focus on good conversational design. How do we guide the user? How do we get them back on track? How do we get the user to feel that they have received fast and frictionless service? Right? And that's what we should really care about because that's what conversational AI is really all about. I love that conversational logic part of it. So are you saying that for average business person can actually you know, play in a visual way to, to redesign the logic and, and change the action, what happens when the conversation is understood? And, and you know, not much of a coding, it, it, you know, the person can actually redesign it, like a flow changing it visually. Is that where we are at? That's where we're at, right? Uh, we have a, a lot of business users. I mean, we are training business users on a weekly basis that can then go, they can not just redesign the logic, right? They can also redesign the NLU. They can uh, review the sentences that have been said by users that were not understood, can assign the meaning, retrain the artificial intelligence models with a click of a button. So there's, there's no rocket science to that. If you can use Excel, then you can use that as well. Same in the conversational logic. You can go in and change texts and images and move things around, similar to like a, a content management system of sorts, right? Now, of course, if you need to interface with the API of your SAP HRM system, then uh, that might require someone a bit more technical minded, but that is, I guess, always the case if you're building interfaces between systems, right? But more general tasks, like, as I said, improving the natural language understanding, changing the flow of a conversation, changing the content that comes out uh, that is shown and so on. These are things that don't require any development skills anymore when using the right tool set. I'll take that as a wrap. That was perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, but I almost lied. Uh, there's a little <laughs> segment that we play before I let you go. And this is getting a little personal. Um, okay. I asked my guests and this very question and then feel free to be totally 100% honest. What okay. are the three things you use the most on your phone? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, I'm using my phone mostly for two things. Uh, first being communication. And the second, I guess, being photos. I mean, if you have kids, then you probably know you're taking a lot of photos and, and videos. So I guess the photos app is, is the one I'm using uh, almost the most. And then uh, closely followed by uh, WhatsApp uh, for messaging. And I'm also using Line Messenger quite a lot because my wife uses uh, Line Messenger. So those are the ones I'm, I'm using most. That was fun. Thanks again. Actually, if you want um, our audience to follow your work, uh, what you'll be doing next, or you know what you're doing at Cognacy, is there a place you want to point them to? I guess the easiest would be just to go to the website, and if you go to the bottom, we have we are present on various social channels: uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. We have a newsletter as well. We have a, a community, and I, yeah, really, if you want to 
just give it a go. Come to the website, click on start your free trial on the upper right, and uh, you'll get your login data within a very short time frame. And then you can just uh, play around and uh, build your own uh, conversational bots and can have some fun with that. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Phil Heltevig for joining us. You can find out more about Phil and Cognigy at Cognigy.com. To find out more about Gene and Tentech, visit Tentech.com. Make sure to search for Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Tentech, thanks for listening.